right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were basically dealing with the very theme of John's Gospel. And here's where he sets forth his case. The Word is made flesh. That is, God is made a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is everything that John was basically building up to and calling him the life and then the light. And when we talked about the light, life and light, we talked about why John used such terminologies dealing specifically here with the light. That is, he has a purpose to come into the world in flesh to bring the light of God, the knowledge of God, the saving purposes of God to mankind. And so therefore, since only God can do these things, that is to ultimately accomplish the will of God, bring about salvation, then God himself had to take flesh from the second person of the divine trinity and accomplish these things, okay? But anyway, so we talked about that in verses 14 through 18, and then we also briefly looked at what John was saying in an identification of him, to the which we are now going to get into more details about John's um, interaction with the Jewish leaders, but we're not there yet. And then we basically talked about what Jesus had come to do to give us the fullness of God's grace. Through him and by him is transmitted unto us, is makes available to us. That's the best way to say it. The fullness of God's blessing, the full intent of what God has for those who will believe in his son, Jesus. All of God's blessing only when you believe in Jesus, the Messiah. OK, and then finally, the final thing that we dealt with was how Jesus is the one. Remember when John said, no one has seen the father at any time. That is, there is a certain knowledge of God, the father, no one has. Jesus, by very nature of him being God, he has the knowledge of God, as well as in the very statement, Jesus, by his close proximity to God, not just about physical proximity, but the proximity of relationship, being in the bosom of the father, that close relationship that the son has with the father. He, it gives him by virtue of wh what he is, he is God, and the intimacy and relationship he shares with the father, he is able to make him known to mankind, which is another purpose that Jesus came, to make the father known. And this is when we get that uh, wonderful English word, exegesis. And, and because of this, we can see in the gospel of John, long narratives of Jesus. That is, when we look at John's gospel over against Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus speaking longer than in, in, in any of the other gospels. Okay. All right. Enough of that. Now let's continue on dealing with the testimony of John. Now, remember what we have just done in verses 1 through 18. We have just covered the prologue, that is, the opening of John's gospel to show his intent. And now what we're going to do, and the whole theme that John sets about to show and to prove all of those things that we've been talking about already, but 
the primary theme is the divine nature of Jesus. So now as we begin to deal with this point and on up to the very end of John, which we'll have the ending of when John was saying, now I have proved my point. All of these things were written, but we're not there yet. But anyway, 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 anyway. prologue has now been set. Now we're going to get into John's narr narrative where he sets certain things about Jesus in order to prove his point. What is his primary theme point? Jesus is not just man, the Messiah. He is also God from heaven. Okay. So now he gets into that narrative beginning like all the rest of the writers do with John the Baptist. And we recall that he has already talked about John when he said that there was a man sent from God, John the Baptist earlier in this chapter. Okay. So now with all of that, Let's get into it. And I believe we'll be able to cover a couple of sections here because they are pretty narrative. But of course, you know, as we always do, important points will stop along the way to talk about them. Verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay, let's talk about it. So now he moves directly into the interaction that we have with John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. It is the same John the Baptist who also baptized Jesus. And so we have a delegation that is sent to John the Baptist while John is baptizing. Now, I'll only briefly hit this particular point in the sense that John was baptizing in the Jordan some distance away from Jerusalem. But John's popularity and the things that he was doing has reached as even as far as Jerusalem. And so now they send a delegation to John to question who he was. Now, we'll talk about this thing a little bit the more that we talk about this particular text, but I just want to make you aware that John had garnered attention of the religious leaders, and so therefore they sent a delegation to him to question him on who he was, why he was doing these things. But let me give a little, a little more additional information. Now, the normal way when this thing would take place, when, when the Sanhedrin, and remember the Sanhedrin was the ruling religious body of the Jewish people, consisting of 70 people. When the Sanhedrin would send a delegation uh, uh, to determine what's going on, the first thing that they would do is they would simply watch and never question then the next thing that they would do after watching with considerable uh, intent and, and it kind of moves on, they would begin the process of questioning. Once they would finish their process of questioning, they would return back to the Sanhedrin and then come up with some type of final decision on how they should consider this particular person. OK, and this is what happened with John. The delegation has been sent to determine John, this baptism, and all of these people going out to John to be baptized, 
the delegation is sent from Jerusalem and they are really interested to find out who is John supposed to be. So uh, John, this is the incident as it played out, as we're talking about it here. The Jews, now let me talk about that too. That is the reference as the Jews. This in the gospel of John, now notice what I said, not in all of the Bible, but in the gospel of John, when John uses the reference, the Jews, he usually uses it as a negative reference. This is not good as when John says the Jews. Now, John is not being anti-Semitic. Why? John, that is the writer of John's gospel, the apostle John, John is a Jew himself, but he uses the terminology, the Jews, in a negative sense to usually reference the religious leaders or unbelievers. And we know as a whole, not every single one of them, but as a whole, the religious leaders were unbelievers, even the Jewish people themselves were unbelievers. So John uses this particular reference to refer to either the leaders or unbelievers. That is those who reject Jesus as the, as the Jewish Messiah, unbelievers. Okay. The Jews sent the priest and the Levites. Now the priests consisted of the Sadducees. And I don't want to get into all of these varied details, but it's good to understand them so that you will understand who these particular groups represent as well as their particular beliefs. Okay. And remember that the Sadducees were, were, didn't believe in uh, angels. They didn't believe in resurrection from the dead and they didn't believe in spirit and things of that nature. Okay. And the priests were dominated by the party of the Sadducees and the Levites. We understand them as the Levite tribes. These were the people from whom in ancient times, but no longer, no longer, no longer. But in ancient times, the high priests came from the Levites, namely of the family of Aaron. But because of all of the political upheaval that had taken place down through the centuries, even now, the high priest now would be appointed by Rome and doesn't come from the family of Aaron necessarily. All right. But nevertheless, these are those groups who came from Jerusalem to ask John who he is. In other words, they were beginning to wonder, was there some type of messianic inference to John's person? The idea is, are you, do you, are you the Messiah? Okay. And that's what we're going to get into. So John confessed clearly without denying it at all. He came straight forward to say, I am not the Christ, the Greek Christos. I am not. And Christos literally means Messiah from the Hebrew Mashiach. Okay. I am not the Messiah also, which means the anointed one. And remember as Jews, they are looking for the Messiah that was spoken of by Moses, spoken of by the law and the prophets. The prophets always spoke of a coming one who would restore Israel to her greatness and bring peace to the world. 
So that's what that's what the Messiah is. And that was the expectation of the Jews. And this is what they were asking John about himself. Are you the Messiah? And sometimes you hear them say the one to come, the coming one. And John just simply said, no, emphatically, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So now, since John has said he was not the Christ, they want to know, is he some great spiritual figure? And so notice what they ask him. They ask him, is he Elijah. Okay. And the reason, and, and what they're asking him about this great spiritual figure is this. There are uh, uh, certain ones that the prophets of the old Testament speak who should come and that the Jewish people should expect them to come. And this is what they begin to ask him. Are you one of those great figures? So they are uh, considering John to be someone great and says, are you one? So what do they say? Are you Elijah? And the reason why they ask is he Elijah, you'll find out in the book of Malachi, I believe it's chapter three, that Malachi told them that Elijah will return. And we know that Elijah from the book of the Kings was a great figure. He was considered to be one of the greatest of Israel's prophets, okay? So they're asking John the Baptist, are you that Elijah? And John simply answered, I am not. And then they asked him, was he the prophet? And then John asked him, and John simply said to him, no. Now, who is this prophet? The prophet is the one that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18, when he said, the Lord your God will visit you and raise up from amongst you someone like me. In everything that he says, you be obedient to him or else you'll fall into judgment. So this is the one whom Moses spoke of should come. Now, and, and here, John, I'm sorry, John the Baptist simply says, no, I am not, not that prophet. Now, what you got to understand is that somewhere down the road, they begin to separate the person of the Christ, the Messiah and the prophet. But what, we, what you need to understand is the prophet that Moses spoke of is the Christ is the same as the Messiah. They are not two different persons. They are not two different persons. The prophet that Moses spoke of, Deuteronomy 18, and the Christ that the prophets told them to look forward to are one and the same. They are the same person. So basically, Jesus is both the Messiah and that prophet that they should look forward to. Okay, But somehow down the road, the Jewish people began to separate it. Even you'll find out in further studies, if you actually did it, some believe, some of the Jewish people believe that there might be a two Jewish uh, Messiah, two, two Christ, okay? And so, uh, what was that? One from the house, was it Joseph and other from the house of David? But nevertheless, both Messiah, Christ, and prophet 
one person and the same, but in the Jewish mind, even as we see here, they considered them to be two persons. That's why they asked him, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Okay. So since he answered negative to everything, they wanted, okay, fine. Who in the world are you? Because they want to know why you're doing what you're doing. And remember, John was drawing spectacular crowds as it was because they had been sent as a delegation and they needed to bring an answer back to the people who sent them. Verse 23, John's response. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. Okay, let's talk about that. So John identified himself, and we don't want to get into all of the beautiful things that go along with this self-identification of John, but he simply declared that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, the one whom God sends, sends to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's why he says, make straight the way of the Lord that is prepared. And when he says these things, it simply means to prepare a people for the Messiah so that once the Messiah gets here, John would point, point, certain, point that one out. He would point out the Messiah and, and tell the people this one is the Messiah so that the people might believe in the one that John points out as Messiah, believe in him and be saved. That is the function of John. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. Okay. And so John says, I am that person. The reason why I hesitated in the beginning is because can you imagine what you would feel like if you knew you were one of those persons that God had predetermined from hundreds of years earlier to do one of the most magnificent things in the world, to be a forerunner of Christ. And you can say, look at a scripture in the Bible like that and that specific and say, that's me. Now that is a magnificent thing. And that's exactly what John did. Okay. But leaving that, the ones that sent them, notice it said, were the Pharisees. Now, what's important here again, we have another one of those groups. And remember, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had many shared, let me say it that way, shared many of the beliefs of Jesus. They believed in angels. They believed in the afterlife, that is the resurrection from the dead. They believed in the spirit world. So, but remember, the Sadducees did not believe in these things, but the Pharisees did. They had much in common with the Pharisees. And even today, our modern day rabbis that we have are primarily the descendants of those Pharisees that we read about in the New Testament. Okay. And, but nevertheless, so the Pharisees, unlike the Sadducees, would have this great hope in looking forward to the coming Messiah. And one of the reasons you'll find out also is the Sadducees were basically a political group. 
All right. The Pharisees were more of a religious group and they dominated the Pharisees. I'm sorry, the Sadducees, the Pharisees dominated the Sadducees as the teachers of the common people. So they were in dominant, but the Sadducees were the rulers of the temple. So when you see Jesus coming to the temple and all of this stuff going on in the temple and people having problems with it, it's like the overturning of the table, stuff like that. It's primarily the Sadducees at that point. Okay. Okay. But that's enough of that. But these are the ones that sent this delegation because they have a very high interest in these prophetic matters, that is, looking forward to the coming Messiah, even more so than the Sadducees would. All right, let's continue. So they asked him and said to him in verse 25, why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Let's stop there. I might as well. Let's finish 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, so now that ends that interaction with John the Baptist and that delegation that was coming out to see him. But now let's review what we were just saying. So when they came out, they said to John, since you deny that you are the Christ, you are Elijah, you are that prophet. Why in the world are you doing what you're doing? That is the baptizing. And so, number one, let me tell you guys this. It is a, a modern misunderstanding amongst many that when we baptize today, we were the first to baptize. No, the Jews had a common practice of baptizing. John is here baptizing and others before John baptized. The idea or principle of baptizing simply is this. There is an individual who has a message. This one has a message, okay? Whatever message that he is proclaiming, the listener hears the message. If the listener believes the message and will submit and subject himself to the message, then the individual willingly goes to that individual, if the person is baptizing, to be baptized. So to baptize, to, to be baptized meaning means you're responding to a message that you heard and you're submitting to that message. You got it? So for John to baptize, his message was what? The, the one, the Messiah is coming. Get yourself together. Get your life together. Make the, make the pathway straight before him. Remember that part in the prophecy? Get it together so that when the Messiah should come, I will point him out, follow him, believe in him as the Messiah. Okay. And so therefore those who said, yes, John, I'll do that. They submitted to being baptized by John. All right. So now let's go back to our text. So uh, when they asked him, why are you baptizing if you're none of these three great people? So John simply said, 
He didn't get into all of that issue. He just simply says, I, my baptism, and this will come up later on of importance. So kind of remember it now. I am baptizing you. Now, the text says in water. The Greek word in could also be translated that. But the best translation here would be with or by means of with or by means of. I baptize you with water by means of water. But but now notice what John says among you stands. That is OK. One whom you do not know. That is the Messiah. So what John is saying is the Messiah is present among you already and you do not know. You are asking me, am I the Messiah? The answer is no. But guess what? You were looking for the Messiah. You were hoping that one day the Messiah would come. I am here to tell you in doing my job. The Messiah has come. He is here. Okay. So John didn't point him out at this instance. He's going to do that later on in the text. But right now he tells them in preliminary fashion, he is here alive on earth, even among you. And you just don't even know it. Okay. And then he talks about the greatness of the Messiah when he simply says that his sandals, the thong of his sandals, John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, what's, what's here uh, often overlooked is to uh, change the sandals of, the, uh, of a person's feet or to wash the feet was usually the job of a slave, of a slave. So John is speaking of the greatness of Jesus by simply saying, I'm not even worthy of being a slave unto him. So here he magnifies the Lord Jesus as we'll see that he'll do once again in this text. All right. So let's continue on. And then it talks about that John was doing this baptism. We already know in the Jordan on the other side of Bethany. All right. Now this is not the Bethany for the house of Lazarus. That's another Bethany, okay? But this is a Bethany uh, not too far from the Jordan. This is a different Bethany, all right? Now let's go to another little section here. Verse number 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me stop here because there's a lot Okay, so let me just try to unpack it. So now there is John, you know, he's he's baptizing at the Jordan River and there is Jesus coming to John. And when he sees Jesus coming to John, he identifies Jesus and says and calls him the Lamb of God. And then he says, takes away the sin of the world. This is clearly a sacrificial reference. Now. As Jewish people who are given the law of Moses, remember in the law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, and even before the law of Moses came, you can see them practicing certain things of sacrifice. But the Jews understood a system of sacrifice. They understood a system of dealing with sin and transgression. That is 
an individual, let's, let's just simply make this individual me at this time. I have sinned against God. I have sinned according to the law of Moses and I need a substitute for my sin. In other words, how does the law of Moses tell me to deal with my sins? It is not like we do of the New Testament, simply confess our sins. No, but they had to have literal blood sacrifice for the sin. So I would take a lamb or a goat or some animal of that nature. I would take it to the tabernacle, the tent of the tabernacle. And there I would take my right hand and place it on the head of that sacrificial animal. Let's just call it here a lamb. And as I placed and confessed my sin, the idea is a transference of sin. My sins are now being transferred to that animal. And that's when the Levi would, Levite would come and slit his throat, the, the, slit the throat of the animal, shedding the blood. Part of the blood would be captured and placed upon the altar of burnt offering. Remember, the altar of burnt offering was that uh, um, item in the temple that dealt with sin, dealt with sin. It, that blood would be placed and the sacrifice would therefore be made, okay? And it is by that animal, by me transferring my sins to that animal and, that, and the blood of that animal would be shed, that is, the animal himself would pay the price for my sin. When the blood was shed, the animal died. He killed that animal, all right? So that I could be free from my sin. This was the substitutionary measure that God gave them under the law of Moses. John uses this terminology when he sees Jesus. He doesn't simply call him the Messiah, but he understands a function and a purpose of the Messiah to take away sins, to be a sacrifice for sins, okay? So when he sees Jesus, he uses sacrificial language to identify him. He, not, he does not simply say the Messiah, even though clearly, as we'll see in the rest of the text, that is what he is saying, but he also introduces something else, that this one, Messiah, is to be sacrificed, all right? So he lets us know a function of Jesus, a function of the Messiah, one to be sacrificed. But also he says, the sacrifice, the lamb here of God. Remember earlier that I said to you, we brought the sacrifice. I brought the sacrifice and laid my hands on him. You got it? But remember, this was a temporary system. This was a substitution until the true sacrifice. Okay, so let me just simply tell you this. Even though God had commanded these things, uh, that is the person, the, the, the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats, but remember, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we know that the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Cannot. All right. It was a substitution. It, it, God allowed these things until the Messiah should come and shed his blood. Okay. 
But sin was not taken away until the Messiah's blood was shed. The system under the Old Testament was substitutionary. God just simply allowed it and said, allow me to say it this way. This will do for now. Now, this doesn't do the job. This does not do the job that lamb dying and the goat dying and the bull that this does not do the job. But I'll take this for now. We'll let this do for now until the time that my son should come in human form and shed his blood. Now that did the job and that completely removed sin. The blood that was uh, 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 that the what the lambs and the goats and stuff of the Old Testament sacrificial did was cover sin. Please note the word difference. The lamb and the goat and the bulls of the Old Testament only covered the sin. To cover something means it's it's still there. It's still there. What Jesus' blood did was completely remove the sin and sin is absolutely no more at all. Okay. So you need to understand those things. So what am I, why did I get into that? The lamb of God, man brought the first lamb. That's what I'm trying to say. Man brought that lamb, man bought the goat brought the goat. Uh, man brought the bull that was used in earlier sacrificial services. But this is only a temporary substitute. This was only a cover. This is not good enough, as you've heard me say a million times. But notice what he calls Jesus, the lamb that God brings. You see the big difference here? God only the sacrifice that he chooses is acceptable to him. Only the sacrifice that he brings is acceptable to him. Only God can save. Okay, now let's keep going. What sacrifice did God bring? He brought Jesus. Who is Jesus as John been telling him, telling us? He is the word made flesh. And what is the word? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. See how it works in totality. God brought the sacrifice that he would accept and the sacrifice that he accepted is God made flesh again. Only God can bring about salvation only that which God does is acceptable and approved by God as a means of bringing salvation. God alone saves. All praise, all glory be to God, not to you, not to me, because of something we did, because of some part we played. Salvation is the work of of God, period, forever, and glory to his name alone. And this should help buttress some of those things, even if you were uh, had difficulty with me teaching in some of the previous videos in this chapter, okay? But anyway, that is so important. 
lamb of God. And then that function takes away the sin of the world. And that is the death of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus makes salvation available. It is practical in the sense. It is practical in the sense that it can remove the sins of the world. You got it? That is the power of the blood of Jesus, all right? Don't get that confused with who is saved. That's a different topic altogether. Who is saved and the power of the blood, all right? Now, let's keep going. 30, this is he. Notice that identification, but, but not now. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who was higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And so now we see that pointing of the finger. This is he. In other words, this is the Messiah. And this is the Messiah on whom, and simply said, I pointed him out earlier and his ministry proceeds mine. I began in my ministry before the Messiah Jesus will begin in his ministry. Because remember, Jesus does not begin his ministry until after he is baptized, until after the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. And Jesus comes from there. It is after then Jesus begins his ministry. So his ministry proceeds, follows after the ministry of John. And then John once again talks about his greatness. He has a high rank because he preceded me. This takes us all the way back to what we said in the preceding chapter, preceding verses of this chapter when John was talking about the pre-existence of Jesus. That is John is saying Jesus is so much greater than I am because before I ever was, he existed. He existed in the beginning with God, which begins to allude what to one of the uh, characters of Jesus's divine nature. He existed in the beginning with God, the father to exist alongside of God, the father in the beginning. The only way you can have eternal pre-existence, you must be God. Okay. All right. And so that's why he means he's higher than I am quite naturally. 31. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Now, Let's go back because we read a little bit more than what we have been normally reading. So now John says, 31, I did not recognize him. What John means is, even though we know Jesus and John are cousins, we already know that, but we don't know about the interaction. The Bible didn't talk about that, 
but quite naturally, they may have seen one another. It's not unusual for that to happen. But what John simply means here, and contextually you can see it is, he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. You know, you can see a person and not know who they are, so to speak. So John says, I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but so that I might do the job God called me to do, that is, prepare the way for the Messiah, I came baptizing even though I didn't recognize him. But of course, we all know the event when Jesus came to John and said to John, baptize me. And we know what happened. John had issues with it, but he relented and he baptized Jesus. And what happened? He saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove, rest and remain upon Jesus. And he then what? The heavens were open. The voice of God came. This is my beloved son. So God gave a witness that Jesus was the Messiah. And he told John earlier, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to send the spirit in the form of a dove because that's the only way you're going to see it. When you see him land and remain on the individual, not just swoop over his head, land and remain. That's the one. And then God himself came and gave testimony. This one right here, right now is my beloved son. When Jesus came up out of the water of being baptized. Okay. So John is referencing John. The Baptist here is referencing this event. When I saw this, the one who already told me all of these things, he said, this is the Messiah. And now John begins to make that contrast. Remember, I told you, you have to remember something earlier. John says, I baptize with water. I baptize with the agency of water. That's what I'm baptizing with. You got it? But his baptism is far better, far excellent than mine. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the functions of what this will do, you know, because the Holy Spirit will bring you into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live. The Holy Spirit will keep you. The Holy Spirit will give those certain particular gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12. It's not about getting into it right here. But what we can see here in the onset is John is speaking of the greatness of Jesus, the Messiah above him. Uh, remember he said earlier, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose the sandals of the thongs of his sandal. I'm not even worthy. Again, he is greater than me because he preexisted me. He is so much greater. And so he continues that idea of Jesus, the Messiah being greater with what John said, I baptize just with water. Mm -mm. He's going to have a baptism that ain't never seen before. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And just for a moment, think of that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. What did you just say? How can a mere, think about this, how can a mere man baptize with the Holy Spirit? You can't manipulate, a human being cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. You are out of your league 
for the Holy Spirit is of God himself. But nevertheless, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Only God can baptize with God. Make sense? So therefore what? You have this final statement. I myself have seen that is what? I saw when I baptized Jesus, the fulfillment of what? The dove sitting upon him. And I heard God from heaven declare him to be his son. And so that's therefore I testify he is the son of God. Now notice now we have another title here. Remember we have life and light and, 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 and uh, uh, um, whatever. But here, the son of God. This is the divine title. Okay. Now, this is the last point I'm going to give on this video, and we're going to close it because it is a very bad mistake that many in Christianity today make. Again, one of those. Son of God is a title. It does not mean one who is less than God. Okay. This title is used of Jesus to show distinction from the person of the father, all right? Father and son. Even in this very gospel, you'll see Jesus saying like, all that the father has is mine. As the son of God, he is equal with God. Again, you'll see that very topic come up in the gospel of John. The son is equal with the father. That's the idea. He is not less than the father. He is equal with the father. And this is the Jewish mindset. And you'll see them say this earlier when Jesus calls himself the son of God and they want to take up stones to kill him. Notice Jesus said, for, he said, for what good work have I done? Do you stone me? And they'll say to Jesus, a good work, the good things you've did. That's not the reason we're about to kill you with these rocks, but because you are a man who makes yourself to be God. And that's when Jesus calls himself the son of God. Okay. So it is equal as a title of divinity. And that's what I'm trying to get you guys to see. When you see son of God, this is a title for divinity. It is simply calling Jesus God. And so what does John the Baptist does here? He calls Jesus God. What is John doing in his gospel? He is trying to prove and declaring Jesus to be God. All right, enough of that. Thank you guys for joining me with that. Oh, and by the way, remember, this ministry needs your support. So if you want to say thank you, and I get that a lot of times, you know, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. If you want to say thank you, support the ministry with a donation. I don't like to get into all of the begging things, but all of these things take time, resources, money, blah, blah, blah. You are a smart person living in America and you know in reality ain't nothing free. All stuff has a cost to it. But support the ministry. Support me. If you believe and are helped by these teachings, show your support. Show your love. Okay. But anyway, thanks for joining me with all of that. Join me next time as we continue the teaching 
uh, in the gospel of John as we deal with Jesus. And John moves very rapidly. He doesn't move like the other writers in the synoptic gospels. He moves quite rapidly at certain things and he even covers a few things some of the other writers did not, as we're gonna see as we continue in John. So join me as we continue in John, as we prepare to meet some of Jesus's first converts and be a witness to some of Jesus's first miracle. And it'll be some of the unique miracles of Jesus. But once again, you're gonna see over and over again, the purpose of the writer, John the apostle, Jesus is God. And you're gonna see people declaring, you are God. Even remember, what I just prepared you for, son of God, you are God. But anyway, thanks for joining me, guys. See you next time.